Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Mission Talk, where we talk everything missions from across the street to around the world. And we also want to put a disclaimer in this video, and we will be talking about human trafficking today in an organization that fights that. So due to the nature and the content of the discussion, this video may not be suitable for young viewers. So please watch and view at your discretion. And now we are going to take a trip uh, a little down south to our neighbor in Kentucky. Um, I have joined with me today from Agape International Missions. I have with me Mark Graham. Mark, how you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me and uh, excited to, just for the conversation we're going to have. Yes, Mark. So I first got connected with you. We talked on the phone. Um, it's probably been about two weeks ago. And um, you told me a little bit about what you do and the organization. And so ever since then, you sent me a lot of material to dig through. And I have done that for the past two weeks. And I have been um, eye-opened, I guess is the best term, because um, I always know of what, I have an idea of what you do, but the more and more I dig in, the more and more my eyes are open to how much someone like me who wants to dig into this didn't even know mm -hmm. um, about about the issues that are at hand and what you guys are doing to um, help and be the hands and feet of Jesus and bring people out of this. So Mark, before we dive in really deep to the um, main topic, um, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm a kid from Miamisburg. I grew up over in Ohio, so not far from you all there in Wilmington. Um, I have a, a long history at Butler Springs. Um, so love the camp. So my growing up years drove through Wilmington every single summer on my way to, uh, to Butler Springs, um, ended up going to Cincinnati Christian university and, uh, then spent uh, about 20 years doing pastoral ministry, um, missions, um, youth ministry, a little bit of young adult ministry, um, and then a campus pastor. So I uh, got a chance to wear a number of different hats, worked in churches in uh, Indiana, Kentucky, and Las Vegas. Um, and so now find ourselves back here in Northern Kentucky and on, on the team with AIM. So married, uh, it'll be 20 years uh, this summer, and uh, we've got three boys, and uh, we are in the throes of, of just, you know, kids activities and all the fun stuff that comes with that. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, can you give us just an overview before we dive in deep to what your organization does specifically? Can you give us an overview about what your organization is about? So aim, well, I, we, we always shorten it to aim. So got international mm -hmm. missions. We'll, we use aim. So obviously through our conversation, we'll probably use aim a whole lot. Um, so over at the 5,000 foot view of, of AIM, we, we uh, are taking on the battle of um, human trafficking, fighting against human trafficking. And so we have a four pillar approach and I know we'll dive into those more specifically, but, but this has kind of been the learning that we've had over the years uh, is that it takes a holistic approach to truly eradicate it. And so, um, so we, we do rescue heal, empower, and protect. And so we have different ministries and, and programs that exist within each one of those pillars. That's kind of the 5,000 foot view of, of what we do. And, and 
kind of specifically, we're working in Cambodia uh, and starting a new work in the country of Belize um, this year. So that that is uh, in the starting phases currently. Um, how, how did you come to get involved with this organization? So when I was on staff at a church out in Las Vegas, um, we had just started to get to know who AIM was. We had a, a one of the guys on our staff had, had worked with the co-founders back in California at a, at a point in time. And so he had said, hey, we need to get to know AIM. And so we sent a team over in probably 2013 to go check out the work in Cambodia. And uh, and I was already aware of human trafficking uh, a little bit. Um, I had learned about it during my youth ministry years. There was a video at a summer event that kind of was the eye opening for me of like, I didn't realize this was happening. I didn't know the gravity of the whole situation. And so, um, so I was always, I was already like, I was very interested in, in the work being done to fight it. And so when our church took a trip, I asked the, the, the team that went, man, I had a ton of questions. What was it like? What was the experience? What did you see? Like what, all of that. So then in 2014, I got the chance to sign up for the next team that was going back. And so 2014, we prepped in the fall of 2014. And then February of 2015, got a chance to take my first trip over to Cambodia. Um, and ultimately, it took four trips um, over 2015, 16, 17, and 18. Um, going over, I got to lead a few of those teams. Um, got a chance just to serve um, in a, a number of the prevention and protection ministries and programs with AIM. And so, um, that's how I got to know AIM. I mean, it really became personal for me, um, just being there and seeing things. Uh, it's, it's just one of those times where you see things you don't unsee or you don't forget, uh, just different experiences um, from, you know, things you see on the street to, um, you know, just crazy scenarios that play out that you're like, wait, what? Did we just see that? Is that really what just happened? Is that, and you find yourself dealing with a whole bunch of anger, but then there's this interesting side where in getting to do um, ministry with AIM during this time, you got to see a ton of light. You got to see a ton of hope. You got to see a ton of just uh, God at work where um, a number of the buildings that AIM at the, at the time I was going was doing ministry and had been former brothels or had been built to be a hotel for pedophiles, uh, but are now either they're a church, they're ministry centers, there, and so you saw this redemptive work that God was doing. And so it's just, it's just this, this tension that you dealt with of light and dark competing at the same time. And so um, for me, it was just, I knew like, I'm just wired in that way of like, I just knew I had to do something, I had to do something. Um, and so, yeah, so this, this opportunity really came back last year for me to join Ames team. And, and for me, it was like, yeah, I would love to. Absolutely. Um, so, so that's kind of a, a condensed version of, of all of that, but I mean, it's just really something that kind of grabbed hold of my heart a number of years ago and just, it just kind of stuck with me and just the sense of like, I have to do something. I can't, I can't stand by, I can't unknow the things that I know, uh, I have to do something. So that's, that's really kind of what compelled me to, to kind of step into, you know, joining this team. I, I, I like I can just, just from hearing that little snippet of your story, I can see where God was moving you the whole time to where you're at now. And um, a part of that, a part of a lot of people's stories is you got to be the boots on the ground. And that's where God really opens your eyes on where he wants you to go. So with, with having your boots actually on the ground, 
And you, you said there is um, some things that you can't unsee, or there's some things that, um, you know, some things that was just really eye-opening. Is there an experience that comes to mind you don't mind sharing with us of something that you've seen that you were like really eye-opening? Um, you see, so, so it was interesting. We were walking uh, a street one night. And uh, we, we, in, we used to stay in the capital city. And, um, and so we were out kind of taking a walk around and checking out some of the markets and just kind of exploring. And I remember walking down the street and uh, I was with our group. We were just kind of walking. Everybody's looking in all the different directions. And so I'm looking over at uh, just the market on one side of the street. And my friend was looking at the other side of the street. And so a few minutes later, we kind of recounted what we were observing. And I, I just remember him saying, I just saw someone bring in a group of of, of gals, of females, um, to this table and assign them seats to sit at by these guys that are sitting around a table. And I was like, what? How? I mean, I was looking to the right, you were looking to the left and just the different things we were observing just right there in plain sight. Um, there, there was one evening, uh, we were staying outside of our hotel waiting to go to dinner. And, um, I can, I can vividly remember, um, there was a, a guy walking down the street walking hand in hand with uh, a Cambodian boy. And, uh, and I just remember immediately clicked. That's not right. This is wrong. You, you know, you know, there are times in your life where you just see things that you go like, that's just, that's just not right. Well, this is one of those times for me where it was like, I, this isn't right. And again, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a father of boys. And so that kind of really hit me in a, in a different way than other experiences I had had. And it was like, I can remember he didn't have shoes on. He was carrying a stuffed animal um, and he walked down the street. I don't, I don't remember what the guy looked like. I don't, I don't even know that I ever saw his face. I just saw the kid and I just remember thinking it's not right. Um, and so, yeah, it, there, there's things like that. And again, we have other stories of just seeing, you know, people in restaurants and seeing just so many scenarios where you just look at it and you're like, that's, that's not right. Like, that's just, it, it looks so out of place. Like how is, you know, you're looking at like, how is no one else? Like, is, am I the only one seeing this? Um, and so they're just unsettling moments where, you know, even, even as I'm sharing it, like I'm, I, I still find myself like just getting, getting amped up at those moments. Um, so th- those are probably a couple examples, um, of just times where, you know, you, you're just, you just unsettled at your core. And that's really what I, how I would explain it is you, you just find yourself, um, just you're almost without words. You're almost, you have an inner conflict of like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to feel in this moment. Um, and so there was, there's definitely multiple experiences like that over the time. Um, yeah. And we could, we could, you know, really rabbit trail into those, but yeah. Can you give us just a background of how Agape got started? So our co-founders are Don and Bridget Brewster. Mm-hmm. Um, they had taken a trip over in 2000 early 2000s to do some missionary work. They, they were going over to support some pastors in Cambodia. Um, and they had they had traveled around the country and visited and, and just done a lot of encouragement work. And, and upon returning home out to California, where they were from, um, they saw a documentary on child sex trafficking in Cambodia and were completely blown away because they said, we didn't see that. Like that was, it was almost shocking to them that this was all of a sudden a thing. And so that was kind of the catalyst and springboard for them to get to the point of like, well, we have to do something. And so um, 
they started a kind of a plan of, you know, we're going to go in, we're going to do an aftercare home. And, and even early on, they were kind of met with this resistance of, um, you know, they, they kind of, they developed a really good plan and they brought it to some, some um, NGO leaders uh, and, and they were asked, you know, are you a, are you a teacher? Are you a, you know, a counselor? Like, do you have all these qualifications? And they were like, no, no, no. Um, and, and the guy was, you know, the, the, the person they were meeting with was like, well, you know, it's probably best if you just went home and just sent money. Um, and so ultimately, you know, they really felt compelled and called to do this. And so they set the plane in motion and, and they, uh, they started, uh, moved over in 2005. And um, so we opened our first aftercare home around 2005, 2006, uh, with the anticipation of it was going to take probably um, maybe a couple of years to fill it. Um, and we were full within just a matter of months. And that was a clear indication of like, we have to figure out how to holistically address this issue because we can rescue as many girls as possible, but someone will always fill that spot until we can address the issue as a whole. And so that really kind of began the learning process that ultimately led to the development of our four pillar approach, the holistic approach that we take today. Um, so yeah, and each, each one of those kind of developed over time and, and, and different things have opened, but that's, that's really kind of our roots is just people who are willing to say yes to God, um, where they felt deeply compelled to do something, but ultimately, you know, wrestled with that. Am I qualified? And, um, but still said, you know what, we have to say yes. Like we can't not say yes. This is really where we feel God's calling. And we, and so what we've seen is every step of the way, God's provided somebody who was there to help us transition into whatever else we needed to add or open or, or, you know, pull together. God put somebody in that place every step of the way who was qualified, who, you know, who, yeah. So it, it's just been an incredible um, journey of just seeing God continually show up and and just provide in times where we were like, I don't know, I'm not sure. And so, yeah. So Mark, you talked about the, uh, the four pillar approach um, and, and this might be a uh, more of a, probably a lengthy answer on your part, but we'll probably go off on some different areas on this, but can you walk us through the four pillars and walk us through on, um, experience of experiences of how these have been applied, um, at least from your perspective or perspective that you know of. Yeah. So we have, so rescue, we have a SWAT team, uh, an actual active SWAT team that is doing raids, uh, working with local law enforcement. Um, it's been an incredible, uh, tool. It started back in 2014. Prior to that, we were doing uh, rescues with different partner organizations. Um, but ultimately, had one that was kind of the one that, that sparked our SWAT team. We had a, a, a raid that got tipped off and mm-hmm. um, the, there was a gal who had contacted us and uh, really had given us the information about the brothel and really had prompted the raid. It took three days to organize the raid. During that three days, the brothel owner was tipped off. The girls were all moved. Um, and so when we show up to do the raid, no one's there. Mm-hmm. So, we scrambled to figure out um, where she was, where, where they'd been moved to all of this. Um, And it took us 22 days to reorder, to, 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 to do the raid. Um, And so we uh, go in, we did the raid, uh, rescued the girls. Um, And so ultimately during that uh, time though, you know, you think 22 days, like, wow, that's, that's a really short period of time. Like that's, that's great. But during the 22 days, she was trafficked 198 times. 
Um, and that kind of really led us to, and we, we say it often as a team, it's one girl is too many and one day is too long. And so that was, that was the catalyst that started the SWAT team. And so it's kind of like, we can't, we can't let another raid be tipped off. Like we have to ensure that this is, um, you know, these are effective and these are happening. So that, that started SWAT team. And so we work with Cambodian law enforcement and it's been an incredible partnership and, um, you know, so since then we, we've rescued, um, been a part of over 1500 rescues and 440 arrests, um, during that time. So, so that's rescue. That's the rescue pillar. Um, under our heel pillar, that's aftercare. So we have aftercare, uh, a large aftercare facility, and then a, a few transition homes that just kind of help, um, girls at different stages of the, of the aftercare process. The goal is, um, safe reintegration back into communities, maybe back into with their families if possible. Um, but ultimately helping them step back into safe situations that are sustainable. Um, and so aftercare is, is a combination of um, trauma-based cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, it is education, vocational training. Um, it's um, uh, even, even the opportunity to do, uh, to work and, and earn a stipend um, to, and so there's again, different phases. And so the, the girls are a part of the process and get to work with their counselors and they have house moms. And, and really he, here's the main thing. We want them to tangibly experience the transformative love of Jesus in and through our aftercare. Mm-hmm. Um, we truly believe that's where the healing takes place. Um, they, they, they have um, so many other, you know, so many good things that are happening in the, in the aftercare process, but we believe above all else, that is what is most transformative. And so that's interwoven. That's, that's, that's um, personified in and through the staff um, who's working with them. Um, and so that's, that's uh, really key to our aftercare process is that, that, that the love of Jesus is tangibly experienced by the girls who are in the, that aftercare. Um, so so that is heal, um, empower, is our reintegration process. So we we want to help um, survivors transition back into vocational sustainability. Like we want them to help them get jobs. And so we actually have two employment centers where um, uh, the survivors can uh, grow their skills, uh, have a job, a sustainable wage, uh, can continue to grow in education. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's multiple benefits that come along with with the uh, employment center. So employment centers. Um, they learn garment making. Um, so actually this shirt I have on, they, they made the shirt, um, they do jewelry making. And so these are skills that trans transition, uh, back into local communities, jobs. They can, they can, you know, they can take, uh, job skills they can take with them. Um, the goal is ultimately sustainability for them, safe employment. And so, um, reintegration and employment provides protection for women who would be susceptible to trafficking and those who have come out of trafficking. Um, so that's, that's empower, um, protect, um, you know, our aim is how do we prevent it before it ever happens? And so, uh, it's kind of twofold. We, we want to confront demand and we want to address vulnerabilities. So, Confronting demand, we actually have what's called the Lord's Gym. It's a Muay Thai boxing gym. Uh, and really the, the, the goal of that is to reach young men in the community. How do we change them from uh, offenders into protectors? And so we have a coach that has a deep heart for discipleship and mentorship. And so he has really developed an incredible program uh, that is developing young men 
and he is an incredible coach. He is in, he has coached multiple national champions. Like wow. he is a, a highly credible coach. Um, but he also has a deep love of Jesus and a heart for discipleship. And so he is combining those and we're seeing, you know, life change coming uh, to him. And uh, to the point of, we have, we have a guy that's um, in, in that has come up through the gym, come to know Jesus to the gym and is ultimately raised, raised up to like nationally famous status because of fighting. Um, and so he uses his platform to, to share about Jesus now. And so it's just incredible to see that transformative work happening there. And so um, we have, uh, emergency family care that kind of steps in when there's need for, for things. Um, we have, uh, the church, we have Rahab's house church. Um, so many of our ministries were actually started in and through the church. That was one of the earliest things that we began in the community. Um, so they have a discipleship program that raises up young adults to develop uh, leadership. And many of those have gone on to become AIM staff. Um, we have about, uh, uh around 500 staff in Cambodia, uh, they're Cambodians and, and through across all of our programs. And so, uh, just an incredible team there. And so many of our discipleship our disciples, they call them the, the disciples have come up and become part of our staff in many different capacities, teachers, social workers, media team, all kinds of stuff. Um, then we have the school, the AIM school. And so that's an English Academy as well as an elementary school. So K through six and then English Academy. So between the two, I think we're under 600 students in that. Um, and just looking to add more grades each year, trying to get to three grades per or three classrooms per grade. And I think we're at second grade right now with three. And so just continue to add one each year. Um, and so uh, our school is for the poorest of the poor. Our, that, that's our main goal is how do we continue to, to, to um, just do community transformation, invest as deeply in our community as possible and, and offer as many opportunities as we can to those who would otherwise not have them. And so that's, that's the priority of the school. And so, um, yeah, so the school's an incredible place. Uh, we just opened a new school back um, about a year and a half ago. We are able to open a brand new one, um, which has just offered more capacity, more opportunity there. So those are, those are the programs um, that we, we, uh, we are running currently. Do you know of any stories of someone who has been rescued and who has gone through the program and is now working somewhere in Ames? Yes, yeah, so we've had we've had a couple. So, um, and I, I'll probably not maybe not use names just for their own sake. Absolutely. Um, so we've had we've had some gals who have, for example, have come through the program, worked in reintegration for a, a few years. Actually, worked in our on our employment center for Fuse, and was ultimately able to uh, join our school staff. So she's actively on our school staff right now, and and so just uh, so she's part of that. We also have uh, a number of gals who have. Um, who have gone through aftercare and are now social workers on the SWAT team. And so they have gone through the whole process. Um, and so they're ultimately on the front lines of, um, and, you know, they're the, they're the first people that the, the, those who are rescued are encountering. So, um, yeah, so that's been a pretty incredible thing. And ultimately one of the, those things that you, we've, we've internally gone, like that's only something you can point to the transformative work of, of Jesus. Right. When you can see somebody who has gone through such, um, you know, a traumatic situation, come around, walk through a healing experience, and then be able to walk back into the, some of those same places and, and, and just love on those who have been rescued, knowing the experience they've just come out of, they're willing to walk back into that and, 
help someone else walk out of it as well. And so we've, we've have a, a number of, of, of survivors who have turned to abolitionists who are uh, social workers, teachers, um, working on the SWAT team. Uh, so, so they're on all, all areas of our, of our ministry, different, different capacities. Um, and so, so it's just been incredible to see uh, that. Cause that's one thing I was actually just talking about this with one of our team, maybe two days ago on the phone, we were just talking about, that's something that's really kind of caught us here recently of going like, that's just not something that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of times, you know, we, we want to stay away from the situations that maybe we felt, you know, were traumatizing or, or hurtful. And, and these incredible survivors are, you know, walking back into them and, and lovingly walking with others out of it. And so it's just, it's just incredible to see. Um, yeah. You know, there, there are several great organizations out there that fight trafficking, but not all of them have the resources to have a SWAT team. What, what does the SWAT team kind of look like, just so we can kind of get a little bit of a uh, visual on that? So SWAT team only has one missionary staff on it. Uh, okay. The rest are all Cambodian. And that's everything wow. from the investigative side, the aftercare side, and the legal side uh, is all Cambodian staff. Um, and so... Yeah, it's and, and it's and it's run like uh, you know a SWAT team, and so uh, you know everything from investigative work to um, you know gathering evidence, covert uh, surveillance to tip lines to informants, um, all of those things that you feel like oh this is like a spy movie and and you know things like that. Um, those elements are present. Um, they have to go through an approval process to get uh, you know they have to present the evidence to get approval to go do the raids. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a legit uh, operation. And, and, uh, and so we've had organizations from the States come over and help do training. So that's been wow. pretty incredible to see just other nonprofits join alongside of us to say, Hey, we'll help with training. We'll help with just um, providing the necessary, you know, reinforcement type of thing, but it is operated and run uh, by Cambodian, uh, you know, law enforcement. And so um yeah, so it's been a pretty incredible uh, thing to see. Again, I, I think you know many probably would be like me, where like I'll I, you know I'll sign up, I'll go, like let's let's do this. Um, but but what's been cool is to see um, the law enforcement, you know, mm. you know taking this on and doing this and, and making this happen. And so um, it, it's been a pretty incredible partnership and presented some amazing opportunities just to be a part of of rescues and 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 you know, pulling people out of terrible situations. Um, so, so yeah, SWAT team is, is, uh, is pretty legit, but, but what's cool is beyond just like, you know, kick a door down, go do an arrest. Um, it is, they have a aftercare element that the survivors experience right off the bat, right? Like it's the social workers who are walking in the doors of, we're going to start this process right here, right now. We're going to, we're going to take care of you from the very beginning and help you, you know, any way we can. Uh, right from the start. And then there's also the legal side of we're going to walk with you through the legal process. So if you ever need to testify, we're going to help you with that process. We're going to, we're going to walk you through that whole thing. So the SWAT team isn't just bust the door down, but it's, we're going to walk with you through this whole legal process. We're here. We're going to support you. uh, We're going to help you through that whole, you know, that whole part of the, of the, of this scenario. I I love the fact that you said, only one of the people on the SWAT team is a missionary. The rest are Cambodian. And that, and that shows that there is a uh, level of, 
um, morality there in Cambodia for people to say, we've had enough of this too, to want to get involved. And I know you've said um, the Cambodian government has um, locked arms with Ames and said, we want to be a part. So can you give us a little insight on um, how the, the Cambodian government has come alongside and what kind of role they help play in this? Um, well, our partnership has kind of been around really hinging on the law enforcement side of just working mm-hmm. hand in hand with them during this process. Um, there's also um, the government and the police have come to our SWAT team for help, uh, just different things are making us aware of, of other scenarios because our primary focus is um, rescuing um victims of child sex trafficking. That's kind of the primary focus of our SWAT team, but we will assist in any part of any trafficking situation. And so many times that's where some of those other situations come on our radar is through our, our relationship with the government and the police is like, Hey, here's a scenario. Would you help? Yes, we'll help. Um, because again, we have a primary focus, uh, but that's kind of the relationship that we have. Um, we also were able to do some different humanitarian aid work in the early stages of the, of the pandemic with the government of just trying to help more along the local level of just doing some different things where, you know, we wanted to be able to help provide for our communities where we are serving. And so um, just trying to, again, just, just co- cultivate a good, healthy relationship and be supportive of them and, and uh, you know, serve in any way we can. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a really incredible opportunity that's opened a lot of doors Um to, to be a part of a number of different rescues that are, you know, maybe outside of our primary focus, but we're still, you know, we're there, we're all in. And, uh, you know, we, we say we, we'll do whatever it takes. Um, and so that's kind of the mentality of the team is like, Hey, we're here. And if we can help any way we can, that's what we want to do. Has the pandemic hindered the work there in any way? Um, I would say, you know, there's always been a, there's been a challenge of different lockdowns and, you know, currently Cambodia is experiencing a pretty significant lockdown and and really having some challenges to navigate right now. And so over the course of the past year, I mean, um, our school has dealt with uh, doing remote at times and has dealt with, you know, um, like uh, meeting in small groups and just ultimately had to adapt different programming options just based on, um, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, different restrictions they've had to experience of just having to adapt to that. And so they have, um, they've just adapted and worked with, with, um, you know, different leaders and trying to make sure they, they do it in the, the best way and safest way possible. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've definitely had to adapt. Our aftercare process has stayed because it's residential. And so they're able to continue on their process. Um, but yeah, different things have had to adapt in different ways along the way, much like we all have here in the States. We've all had to kind of adapt along the way. Our Cambodian team has done it and, and, and done so incredibly. Um, and so we, we actually, so here, here's an example of a combination of state and Cambodian team working together. So, so much of the, of, of, um, uh, serving with AIM has been trips, right? I mean, we've done mission trips. That's what, that's how I got to know AIM. And so, uh, in 2019, I think we had 50 teams come and serve with us. And so it's really been a, a huge encouragement and, and resource to our team on the ground in Cambodia, um, and we haven't been able to do that, right? Early 2020, we like that was the last trip we were able to t- have. And so since then, we haven't had teams. And so so our team just kind of got creative and said, hey, let's do virtual tours. Like, let's do a virtual trip. And I, and I know we're not the only organization out there doing that, but it's been a really cool experience to um, lean on each other of going, hey, we'll pull teams together and you guys organize on your side of just let's develop some 
interviews. Let's let's show some tours of the different spaces. Um, you know, we've been able to, to to tour the gym and the school and uh, one of our employment set centers and and have interviews with different staff that you might not otherwise get to have interviews with um, when you're in country just based on their jobs. And so we've just seen our team collectively come together and go, yeah, let's we can't have our team on the ground, but we can still introduce people to the work going on. So this has been a really cool opportunity to sit down. And I found myself, I was actually on, uh, we had a virtual call last night. So we're actually having to modify again, just based on current restrictions. We can't necessarily do a tour, but we just did a, a Zoom call with different people. And so it's just interesting. Um, I found myself on the virtual tours at times taking notes, like I'm learning stuff and and learning new things and seeing things. Um so it's been really neat just to see the mentality of everybody on our team is truly whatever it takes. Like, all right, if we got to modify, let's modify. Like, let's tweak what we got to do, but we still want to continue to do the work. And so uh, we've just seen a continuation of that. And uh, yeah, so I'm so impressed with our leaders who are leading the different pillars and programs of just continual um, willingness to go, all right, let's figure it out. And, and they do. And so, yeah, it's been pretty cool. What has been some of the biggest challenges that has been faced so far um, within this ministry? So, you know, I think early on, we were not necessarily welcomed into the community that we started in. Um, It was a city, it was a street lined with brothels. Um, That's what it was known for. It was the the epicenter of child sex trafficking in Southeast Asia. Um, That's what it was known for. And so when we showed up and started to do ministry, like our goal was, you know, we, we want to eradicate this. We want to, so it wasn't really a, a welcome uh, experience early on. So that was, that was a pro, that was a problem. Um, but we had, we had some incredible leaders who started in that community and were um, just resilient and, and have some pretty incredible stories of challenges that they face, but all the while saw God continue to step in and do just some incredible transformative work all along those times. And, you know, the church starting and the way the church has been able to serve the community. Um, I think the other part of this is it's a big job. It's huge. And you can easily get stuck in the statistics, right? When you say 40 million people are estimated to be currently enslaved and one in four is a kid. Like you just sit with that and you're like, you can get you can get paralysis by analysis, um, but you know you just have to keep pressing on and going like, hey, let's make a difference for every person we can, because that's one more person that is not in that situation anymore. And so, the other part is curbing demand. Um, that's a challenge, right? Because it's not always um, just super easy to do. It's it's a big issue uh, to tackle and. At times it, it morphs and shapes and takes on new ways and new, you know, people. And, and, and so it's, it's a challenging issue to, to tackle is really curbing that demand is because again, that's, that's one of the key ways to prevent this is curbing the, that demand um, and really just continually addressing vulnerabilities. Like, uh, you know, those are big challenges to tackle because they're, 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 they're not short-term solutions. Um, it's not just let's let's do this and that's immediately going to take care of this. They're, they're long term issues to tackle, but our team is committed to doing it. And so 
those are just challenges because it's it's not an easy thing to think because the issue is so big. It's not just a we're going to solve it next week, right? We're gonna we're gonna just jump and we're gonna it's it it's gone. Um, and so sometimes it can feel, you know, you can just feel like, are we making a difference? And then you get to kind of hear the stories of recent raids, or you hear stories of survivors who have transitioned out of aftercare, and you start hearing those stories, and you're like, okay, okay it's making a difference. Like God is continually at work and we're seeing darkness pushed back. We're seeing ground gained. And we just have to remind ourselves and celebrate those moments. Like, Hey, ground is being gained. And it's, it's even encouragement in conversations like this, where we now know more people are going to know about this. Mm-hmm. And when more people know about this, more people get involved. And so that's a driving force of like the more awareness we can create, the more action we can start to mobilize. And so that's kind of the heartbeat behind it. So, um, so those are some of the challenges that, that you know, we're wrestling with um, among, you know, just constantly adapting and, and, and the challenges that come with that. Um, but, but we have an incredible team of people that are just leading the way. Is there anything you can tell me about how, um, how these churches are operated, um, how these churches are getting involved in the community? Is, is it AIM volunteers that have taken over these churches or have these churches been started by people in the community and are they getting involved? So even go back further in uh, AIM. So AIM kind of started under the umbrella of what was actually Agape International Missions uh, actually started long before our trafficking arm. So it's kind of almost two, twofold. Uh, AIM for Asia is, is a church planning organization who's planting churches all over Cambodia. And that's kind of where we started underneath of. And so we now kind of do AIM, which is anti-trafficking work, and they do AIM, which is uh, church planting work. And so it's been an incredible relationship with them and to see just the work they've done. But the church we primarily work with is called Rahab's House Church. Um, and it was started in, I told you, the the building was built in the community. It's a huge building, very tall building. Um, and they had built it with the intentions of it was going to be a hotel for pedophiles, but it never opened. It was never opened. The only thing that has ever operated in that building is AIM, is the church. It was the school at one point, but the school's now moved to its new building. Um, so other other opera, um, different things operate out of it now, but the church is still there. Um, the church has an incredible Cambodian pastoral staff. Um, it has it has had to modify over time, much like all of our churches here have had to. So um, I remember going, the last time I was there was in 2018. Um, and I remember that year, uh, during that year they had built on in the back. So prior to that, we'd met upstairs in a small room and it was all, you know, super fun and loud. Well, then they built this new awning out in the back and took wow. what was, uh, an air, old dump area. And it's, it's where they, they, they put tile down, they built this giant canopy over top and, and we walked back and like, it was hundreds of people, you know, two, 300 people back there doing church. It was incredible. Super incredible. Just and and so here, here's what's awesome is the church has done some incredible things and in reaching a bunch of people in the area. Um, but they do they do small groups, they do um, they even prioritize even doing mission work, like they've done collections for to give away, like to send to other countries to do mission work. So it, it's a church with a big heart, not only for their own community, they do they do the discipleship program and they do a bunch of the different ministry work in and through our community, but they also have a heart for beyond themselves. Um, and so it's just been incredible to see them and to just experience that, hang out with that team at times. Um, 
because it's, it's a team that is just constantly raising up leaders, mm-hmm. raising up young adults, giving opportunity, um, just seeing over time where different disciples I've had the chance to, um, you know, get to know over the years and seeing how the church has ele- you know, given them opportunities just to grow their leadership ability and capacity um, has been pretty cool. And so, uh, so yeah, the, the church has a, a, a huge heartbeat for the community and just serves them, loves them, um, supports them, prioritizes them. Um, and so, and again, has had to modify over time and just do church in different ways. And, and they have, and it's been awesome. Um, so, so yeah. Incredible pastor and, and staff. Can you give us a little insight onto um, where where AIM is at in that process of um, doing this work in Belize? Mm-hmm. So our country directors are in the country. Um, so they got there in January. And so they've been just kind of, and prior to that, they've been laying the foundational work as far as developing partnerships, um, relationships. So when they hit the ground, it was hit the ground running um, and get the ball rolling. Because the first priority was, starting in the same way we started in Cambodia, starting with an aftercare home. So the goal is to open an aftercare home that has room and capacity for 24 survivors. And so that's that process is underway. Um, so the facility, they're working on prepping that, getting that ready. Uh, kind of the opening date's a little bit of a moving target just based on how long it takes to get things ready. But in the meantime, um, our team is working on just deepening partnerships. We've got a number of relationships that have continued just to open doors. I, I talked with our team down there uh, within the last few weeks and just remember uh, talking with AT who's there and, and him saying like, so many doors are opening so quickly. We're just praying for God's wisdom that we would know the right doors to walk through. Um, and so it's just been a really cool thing and really kind of a confirmation of we're in the right place, just how we've seen God continue to move um, and go before us and just continue to open doors and pr- present opportunities that have come together. So, so that's the, that's kind of where we are as far as status goes. Um, like I said, it's a bit of a moving target for when it will open. Uh, but we're hoping for later this year that we would be able to, to start that process there. Um, and then uh, the ministry will, will grow and build <clears throat> based on opportunities, partnerships, things like that. So, but first step is aftercare home. And so that, that process is, is underway. Mark, can you tell us a little bit about um, one, what do you do personally for AIM? Um, what, what your job consists of and um, what some other jobs might look like there on the home front? So I'm, I am, I work with church partnerships. So my, my primary focus is really blending my background in the church Mm -hmm. with my heartbeat for aim and just helping churches get involved in the work aim is doing. Um, And so that's, that's been a big heart because our vision is we believe that uh, Christ through his followers will bring an end to human trafficking. Mm -hmm. And so part of our heart is to mobilize the local church. So, so that's, that's part of my job is just helping develop and cultivate partnerships where we can help the, the local church mobilize their people in the fight to end trafficking. So, so that's, that's my primary role uh, here. Uh, different folks in the States. Um, we've got all kinds of people. We have people that uh, help develop uh, storytelling resources to uh, helping do the administrative side of work. Most of our team here is, is heavily administrative, just helping do a lot of the details, paving the way for our team on the ground. Um, so that they don't necessarily have to tackle all those details. Um, and so that, that's a large part of what our team does here. We build partnerships, um, raise support, things like that, so that we can continue to advance the work being done. So, 
that's a lot of the work we do here stateside. Um, and so a lot of our teams out in California. So I'm here in Kentucky. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I, I get to do a lot of these calls with our team over in California. You said it yourself. AIM believes that this issue, this subject of trafficking can be solved through the hands and feet of God's people working. Mm-hmm. And so um, you have provided a lot of resources to me and resources that I will put um, in the description of this video. There is a, um, there's a five day devotion that you gave me and each of those has a video that shows a lot about the work and you can visually see some of the raids that they do, but also more importantly, the transformation that happens and some of the testimonies from these girls. And I was, I was just all struck at the transformation I seen from the first day of this devotion is a five day devotion to the end. And it's like, this is real life, real people. And Mark, if you don't mind, can you just share with us um, some of those ways people watching can get involved with AIM? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we kind of break it down into four ways. Um, give, shop, share, serve, um, give, right. You know, give goes a long way. Uh, it really mm-hmm. does. Um, and so we have a monthly giving program people can be a part of, you know, there's all different kinds of give options. Um, shop, like I said, uh, the, the survivors and the gals that work in the employment centers, they make, um, different apparel. So like this, the shirt, uh, aim apparel is different ways that they're learning job skills. And so they make high quality products that you can purchase and in through purchasing, you get to support the work. Uh, that they're doing, but also you get to help offer protection for those who would otherwise be susceptible to trafficking. So shop is a big deal. And there's jewelry, there's apparel, all those kinds of things that, that again, and they all tell a story because they're all made by someone and you get, you get to see the person who made it, like you get a tag that has their name on it, they sign it. And so it's kind of cool to be connected to their story, to know that you were a part of their story. And to wow. um, share, we just talk about like bring awareness, right? We have a ton of different tools. You've talked about the devotion. We've got a bunch of videos. We have a documentary that's coming out. We're doing screenings at churches right now. Like um, we have a, a bunch of ways that we're trying to say, hey, share about what's going on. Make people aware of what's happening. Like let's help open people's eyes so that we can all get involved and then serve. Um, really, ultimately, we would love teams come over, serve with us, but we're not we're not there yet. But what does it look like to serve where you live, right? We've, we've developed an action guide. Um, and through that action guide, we're trying to help people in twofold. One, grow your awareness and education of the issues, right? Help me understand the issue on a global scale. Help me under, understand the issue on my local level. Like, what does it look like here in the Wilmington area, in Ohio, all of those types of things. Uh, but then we want to break it down into tangible action steps because sometimes it's, it's the issue seems so big and we're like, I'm not qualified. Mm. Okay. That's easy to convince ourselves of that. But the reality is each one of us can do something, right? There, there is a way we can address vulnerabilities in our community, right? There's ways we can confront demand in our community. How can we do those things? So we, we've developed this action guide to help people think through those things and identify ways that they can, they can take action. They can, you know, all that stuff. So, so the action guide is based and built around very, very tangible ways an individual can get involved with AIM and with uh, local organizations doing the same type of work. So our, our heart is we want you to help you get involved locally and globally in the fight to end trafficking. So, um, so yeah, again, those are all links that you can, you can throw out there for them. And, and those are free resources that we've created that we want to make sure we get in the hands of people to go, Hey, we want to help you mobilize and, 
and be able to see. And really, ultimately, our goal is to help you get started. So we have another resource that's a part of this process that's just you developing your own action plan, where we're going to help you just take a journey through a few different questions to help you think through how you're wired and what you're passionate about and what opportunities you've learned about, and then develop what are your three action steps that you can take locally and globally. Because um, we really want to empower people to, to get involved and really identify what those things could look like for them. Mark, what are some prayer requests that we can pray specifically for? Um, I think, you know, protection over those who are, find themselves in vulnerable situations, right? Through the, through the pandemic, we've seen a ton of vulnerability taking place. And so we, we would really, you know, appreciate those prayers over those that are finding themselves in those scenarios, those situations. Um, praying over those who are in aftercare, that they would experience the transformational love of Christ. Like that is just, that is just priority number one for us. Um, and that they would experience that, feel that, feel that, you know, find that and feel that. And ultimately provision and protection over our teams on the ground. Um, they have to adapt to a lot and it's challenging um, in so many ways. And so, and that's ultimately for our team in the States and the team overseas, just because there's so many different things that we encounter. There's a ton of spiritual warfare that we find ourselves facing, you know, no matter what part of the organization we're in. We've, we've, we talk through that as a team. We meet every Wednesday uh, in the stateside team to pray together, to do devotions together, to, to prioritize that, to pray over our team in Cambodia and in Belize, um, because we, we know that this is important work. Um, and, but we know that there's also spiritual warfare that comes along with it. And so we're just, we're praying uh, over that. And we just, we would, man, we would appreciate prayers for that as well. Just knowing that that's a big deal, both here at home and also uh, in the, in the places we serve. Um, and Mari uh, is aim on, they're on social media, correct? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I believe I, I follow them. Yeah. So I will also take their social media on here, give them a follow and keep up with what's going on. And, um, join them in the fight. Mark, thank you so much for uh, spending your time with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity.